0: John one twenty nine The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world As the lamb to
1: slaughter paces, though with cross on wounded frame lonely still. Thank mm-hmm.
0: chapter of John's gospel, we see that John sees Jesus. And whenever he sees him, he looks at him and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why would John say such a thing about Jesus? Well, in order for us to understand about this phrase, Lamb of God, we need to kind of go back in the Bible, uh, back to the very beginning of the Bible. So we're going to go back And I mean all the way to the beginning, like Genesis, Genesis 1.1. You remember it starts that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want you to just kind of uh, walk with me a little bit on some of the history that leads us up to the point of Jesus. And I want you to recognize the significance of the Lamb of God and especially the significance of Jesus being that Lamb of God. So when we read in the first few pages of the Bible, and in the book of Genesis, we see that God created this wonderful garden for mankind to live in and to thrive. And he puts everything that they could possibly want or need in there, and then he gives them this choice. It's in there, at least, these two different trees. They can either choose to follow God and eat from one tree, the tree of life, or they can choose to eat from the other tree, which would be the tree of death, or technically it's the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God says, don't eat from that one. But he says, eat from the the tree of life. They have those options. And what do they do? They choose poorly. They choose to go against God. In fact, it's not just the first ones that chose to go against God. It's the next generation and the next one. In fact, it gets so bad that that's why we read just a few pages into the Bible that wickedness had come over the entire land and so much of mankind had chosen poorly that God decided just to start over and wipe everything clean. That's why we get the flood during the days of Noah. And then if you keep reading though, even after the flood, we actually find out that guess what? Even the humans that are still alive at that point, they still are constantly choosing poorly and going away from God. And in fact, all of mankind is once again kind of going against God. And that's where we get this story about the Tower of Babel. And there at the Tower of Babel, God confuses the language of all the people and sends them all over the earth at that time. And at that time, whenever he he sends them out, he chooses a family. Technically, he doesn't even choose a family. He just chooses a couple. And at that, it's kind of a little bit of an older couple. And he says that from this couple... Is going to come a wonderful people, a whole group of people. And that is the people of Israel. And that couple that I'm referring to would be the ones that we know of as Abraham and Sarah. And he gives Abraham this promise that through him all the nations are going to be blessed. And through him is going to come this wonderful and mighty nation. And he doesn't see it for a very long time, but eventually the people, the descendants of Abraham, they do start multiplying. We know them as Israel. We know them as the children of Israel. And they eventually find themselves, after a few generations, in the land of Egypt. And whenever they find themselves in the land of Egypt, that's where we get to this story about Moses. And Moses is going to be this deliverer that delivers the people um, and leads the people out of the land of Egypt, and at least the goal was, into the promised land. Uh, Once again, there was a few hiccups along the way, I guess you would say. And God's will was ultimately done, but it took a little bit longer than what God wanted because we as mankind oftentimes choose poorly. But let's zero in on this story that we know about Moses during the time uh, that he was in Egypt. Now, Specifically, whenever he was in Egypt, there's this story that is very, very, very familiar. And that would be the time whenever all the Israelites cross through uh, the Red Sea and the Red Sea is, you know, parted. And they, they walk through on dry ground in between uh, this wall of water on both sides. And that would have been amazing to see that, to experience that. And Moses and the people that he was leading experienced those things. But, you know, if we back up just a little bit in the story, we get this story about a lamb. It's called the Passover lamb because one of the final things that God does to show his might over and his power over life and death is that he is going to come through all the land of Egypt and there is going to be death that visits every single household. Now, it's the household's choice as to what that death is going to look like. He tells his people and anyone who is willing to listen that what they need to do is they need to um, have this Passover lamb. And they need to um, basically offer up this lamb and to, um, uh, to, to eat that lamb and to have that, uh, that, uh, that meal together, to share that meal together. And that lamb is going to be called the Passover lamb. And they, each family was told to take the blood from that lamb and to, to uh, smear that blood across the doorpost and across the doorframe of their house. And if they did so, then death would pass over their house because really it kind of already visited their house in the form of that Passover lamb. However, many of the Egyptians, I would say probably even most of the Egyptians, did not do that. They never even cared enough about uh, God to try to follow him. So the death that they experienced was actually the death of the firstborn in every single house at that time. And it was on that night or rather, I guess you might say the next morning, that the nation of Israel was allowed to leave and that's whenever the Exodus and the the crossing uh, of the Red Sea was actually going to take place. But we come to that, that time, that, that night where that Passover lamb was slain. And we see these images that are woven together. And, and lambs were used several times throughout um, you know, the Old Testament as, as the different forms of, of sacrifices and a reminder. And the Passover lamb was something that was supposed to be done every single year, that every family would be reminded of that original Passover celebration. So then when we get to the page of the New Testament, we read things like this in john chapter one i'm going to read just a few more verses around that verses 29 through 34 we see the next day john saw jesus coming toward him and said look the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world this is the one i meant when i said a man comes after me uh, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me i myself did not know him but the reason i came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to israel then john gave this testimony I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So he says these statements about Jesus, and he calls Jesus the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Kind of Images are, are borrowed from that Passover lamb, the one that that lamb was going to take on the death rather than that family. Well, in many ways, Jesus is our Passover lamb, and he is the one who his death means that death can pass over us. Now, of course, that means that pretty much all of us, is, if we are able to live on this earth for uh, you know uh, an extended amount of time, um, we will physically die, yes but with us, we have the promise about spiritual death. Spiritual death will not visit us, it will not remain on us, it will pass over us. But it can only pass over the ones who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who truly does take away the sin of the world. John recognized that Jesus, look, he surpassed him because he was before him. Guess what, Jesus was before each one of us. And I don't just mean in history that he lived um, 2000 years ago, I mean, He existed even before that, because Jesus himself is God in the flesh. Now, John continues on, though. It doesn't just end in verse 34. We see that he continues on and uses that phrase again. So now we read in verses 35 through 39, again, another day. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus turning around Jesus saw them following and asked what do you want they said rabbi which means teacher where are you staying come he replied and you will see i love that invitation that jesus gives to them because you know john is once again saying look that's the lamb of god that's the one that you need to be to be focused on this is the lamb who's going to do great things he's going to take away the sin of the world so then some of the disciples of john are even looking at jesus And trying to to figure out what is going on and they want to follow him and then he says you know where are you staying and Jesus tells them come and you will see and you know what those disciples they came and they they saw where Jesus was staying but they saw a whole lot more than that many times if we are willing and if we open up our lives to to Jesus his invitation for us to come and see means so much more than what we might have meant at the very beginning and exactly what, what Jesus is willing to show us, it depends on what we're willing, how far we're willing to follow Jesus and learn uh, about him and about his way uh, for our lives as well. But he gives us that same type of invitation, just like he gave them, come and you will see. He wants us to come and to follow him as well. And we also read at the end of, of the gospels, they have their own ways of stating it, but we're going to look at Luke's gospel here. So toward the end of Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 21, this is the time whenever everything is about to take place. In fact, Jesus is going to be, uh, to be um, hung on the cross here shortly after this passage. But here in Luke chapter 22, verses 7 and 8, we read, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And if you keep reading in the story, you'll find out that it was this very night that Jesus is going to be arrested and he's going to be taken uh, before and put on trial and he's eventually, it's, it's going to lead to his death. So in many ways, if we choose to see it and, and recognize what's going on right here, this time that the Passover lamb was going to be sacrificed, this Passover lamb was going to, um, to take place on, on this evening, we find out that this year it's going to be a little different. Because this Passover lamb is not just about that, that physical lamb, but it's about the spiritual lamb of Jesus Christ himself. So, yes, Jesus tells his disciples to go in and make preparations, you know, to, to prepare for that Passover. But Jesus knows all well and good this Passover is going to be different than the others before. This Passover is different because Jesus is the one who was sacrificed in our place. And we see this in other passages as well among the early church. I wanna give you an example from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter eight, we, we read this uh, amazing story, which we're only gonna kinda jump into the middle of it and only read a few verses here in this story. But it's an amazing story about this, this man who he's um, this Ethiopian eunuch, and he is reading uh, the scriptures, but he doesn't exactly understand everything. So in the midst of this, this conversation, we see Philip is a follower of Jesus, and he is sent by the Holy Spirit. To go and to talk to this man and this is how this conversation goes along in acts chapter 8 verses 30 through 35 then philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading isaiah the prophet do you understand what you are reading philip asked how can i he said unless someone explains it to me so he invited philip to come up and sit with him this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth is reading this passage from Isaiah 53. And he reads a passage that says that, okay, there's this individual who is led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. Who is Isaiah talking about? Philip knew who Isaiah was talking about. He knew who that sheep is, who that lamb is. That lamb is a lamb of God. That lamb is Jesus Christ himself. That's why Philip began in verse 35 with that very passage of scripture and he preached Jesus Christ to him we can do the same things as well. Because Jesus is the lamb of God. He is that sheep that was led to slaughter. He is that lamb that was before its shears was silent. And he died so that that way death ultimately will pass over us. This is not the only passage here with Philip uh, that Jesus is referred to as the Passover lamb. We also find it in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses six through eight, Paul is telling the early church, to be holy, that we are called to be holy. And part of that comes to the sacrifice that was given on our behalf. That was the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, the one who was sacrificed so that we can be made holy. And he tells them in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, he says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now he kind of chooses to use this image about the unleavened bread because around the time of the Passover lamb, yes, the lamb was part of that meal, but another part of the meal was unleavened bread. And Paul focuses on the unleavened. And he kind of compares um, yeast with, with sinfulness and the wickedness, the, the evil things that had crept into the church there at Corinth. And he says, get rid of those things. Don't let this yeast just remain and, and corrupt the whole batch of dough. Don't, don't let that happen. Because Christ is our Passover lamb. He has been sacrificed. He died so that we can be holy, so that we can be people of sincerity and truth, not of malice and wickedness. So Paul is correcting the church right there. So we've seen that Philip uses the image of the Passover lamb to talk about Jesus. We've seen that Paul uses the Passover lamb um, idea to talk about uh, Jesus. Now, what we also see is we see that Peter, um, Peter himself in 1 Peter, is going to use the Passover lamb uh, image as well to talk about Jesus. And here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, he's talking about very similar things You believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. You look at how Peter talks about this lamb. He talks about this precious blood of Jesus, who is a lamb without blemish or defect. That is how Jesus is described right here. And this plan of God, he was chosen in verse 20, even before the creation of the world. God knew before the the passage where we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, even before that, God already knew that his son was going to be this lamb who is without blemish, without defect, and who is going to to um, give his precious blood on our behalf. It's because of Jesus Christ, because of the sacrifice, because of this wonderful love of God, that we can believe in God through Jesus Christ. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has been glorified. Our faith, our hope, All of those things are in God. So we see at least three people from the early church, and of course others as well, would use this image to talk about, uh, this image of the Passover lamb to talk about Jesus Christ because there's so many parallels, so many comparisons that we can recognize Jesus did this for us. I wanna give you two more passages. These are just brief passages that I wanna share with you. And these two come from the book of Revelation. You might find it interesting that the book of Revelation uses the the word lamb quite a bit in fact when you look at the book of revelation um, the name jesus only appears just a few over a dozen times maybe 15 not even probably not even quite that but then uh, the word lamb referring to jesus christ uh, that's about 30 times so you have at least twice as many times the word lamb is used to talk about Jesus rather than the actual name Jesus himself. That makes sense whenever you understand that Revelation is full of images and the image that Revelation constantly uses to talk about Jesus is the lamb. So in Revelation five, verse six, we read this at the very beginning of these, these, these visions that he sees. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Do you know what lamb would look as if it has been slain? That would be the person of Jesus Christ himself because he had been slain and he is standing at the center of the throne. In fact, if you keep reading and find out he's got his own throne. Now we're going to fast forward to the end of the book. I told you there's about 30 times that lamb appears. We're going to look at, I guess, three of them. Now at Revelation 22, the story is coming to a close. All these amazing things have happened, which by the way, I plan tonight um, for us to look at more of these passages in Revelation that speak about the lamb. But here in Revelation 22:1 through three, this is what we read. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. This is a wonderful place that is described. This is kind of the, the new creation when all things are made new, but you notice what's there in the midst of it all. What's there in the midst of everything is the throne of God and that throne of the Lamb. We also see in verse 3, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in that city and his servants will serve him. Does that include you? Well, I would answer to you, it most certainly can. And it most certainly can include you if you choose to serve the Lamb right here and right now. If you choose to give your life in service of the lamb right here and right now and follow the way of Jesus Christ in this life, you can most certainly be among that number of the servants that will be around him, that will serve him and that will experience that eternal life that is going to be so wonderful and and such a, a wonderful thing to experience life always in God's presence. God has made a way for us to be saved and that way is by accepting the lamb of God Who takes away the sin of the world? We want you back, we want you back, we want the sheep back in the fold. We
1: want you back, we want you back, we want the coin back in its mold. Lost like a sheep that went astray. back to your God, come, come, back to come back to the fold. We want you back, we want you back, we want the sheep back in the fold. We want you back, we want you back, we want the coin back in the to the faith. Come back to your God. Come back to, the fold. Come back to the fold. We want you back. We want you back. We want the sheep back in the fold. We want you back. We want you back. We want the coin back
0: in
1: its mold. Though you have wandered far, back to the fold.